the podcast on Scripture and Reason, discussing life and Jesus' church in our age. Well, I wish I could say that I coined this phrase, and I just heard it the other day. It might have been MacArthur. I'll give it to you. Uh, I don't want John MacArthur calling me and saying God's the guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he but just yeah. keeps calling all the time right. anyway. You yeah, know, hey, right. can you help me with yeah, this sermon you know, study? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any content. We're going to talk about the transmission of the New Testament text. Yeah, it should be a continuation of our discussion of the Old Testament text, which we handled before. So what do you have for us today? Well, I want to start out with... Uh, repeating a, uh, a story that we talked about when we did the Old Testament, which is just kind of actually a, a, a helpful illustration. A lot of times we try to stay away maybe from, from illustrations because they either oversimplify or are more complicated than they are helpful, or they just fall apart too easily, like the Trinity. Um, right, and I think uh, knowing what the what the, the illustration is going to be, it, it deals with the fact in, in anybody out there who's been a believer uh, for any period of time has heard the fact that, well, we don't have the original text of the New Testament. We right. just have copies of the original. How do we know what's real? There's errors everywhere. Yeah, and the assumption then also is, as maybe we talked about during the Old Testament, is that certainly nothing could be possibly be accurately recorded if it was copied and copied and copied by people over time. Correct. So let's read the story. Go ahead. A gentleman left a large estate entailed to his descendants of the third generation, and it was not to be divided until a majority of them should be of age. During the interval, many copies of the will were circulated among parties interested, many of these being copies of copies. In the meantime, the office of record, in which the original was filed, was burned with all of its contents. When the time for division drew near, a prying attorney gave out among the heirs the report that no two existing copies were alike. This alarmed them all and set them busily at work as to ascertain the truth of the report. On comparing the copy with the copy, they found the report true. But on close inspection, it was discovered that the differences consisted in errors in spelling or grammatical construction, some mistakes in figures corrected by the written numbers, and some other distant differences not easily accounted for, but that in none of the copies did these mistakes affect the rights of the heirs. In the essential matters for which the will was written, the representations of all of the copies were precisely the same. The result was that they divided the estate with perfect satisfaction to all and that they were more certain that they'd executed the will of the grandfather than if the original copy alone had been preserved. For it might have been tampered with in the interest of a single heir, but the copies, defective though they were, could not have been. Interesting. So what does it all mean? What does it all mean? So if you if you think about the way... The New Testament comes to us, um, right? It's it's important to kind of draw the world up. Um, so we've got this Hellenized time period, a very brief time period, very very compressed period of time. You've got the new church that's uh, that's coming along, um, and you've got people who are receiving letters. 
from apostles. You've got books that are being passed around, and maybe there's some underground church going on, right? The, the you know people think of the church today, and, and maybe they think of the kinds of social organizations that would have a um, a two story imperial walker designed to draw people in, right? A, a church where you have um, you have the the benefit of of people who want social connections, people who want to grow their business, um, people who have tax write-offs by giving you money, all of these kinds of things. The church in that day was not at all like that. So what you're saying is that uh, that, that ancient church did not look like it tried to uh, fit in with the secular environment around. It was merely based with surviving to some degree uh, and lived in the hope of the promises that were kept in the New Testament uh, as, as, as given through the apostles, uh, through the Gospels, all of which was, uh, uh, which was foretold by the, Old, uh, by the Old Testament and the prophets, correct? Correct. And I look at the book of Acts. I look to Acts 2.44. And Acts 2.44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Yep. I believe that's a matter of necessity. Right, for survival. Correct. And so you've got people that are surviving, oftentimes at a base level. You've got people who are maybe destitute because they can't you know, transact commerce anymore now that they're believers. Um, and so you've got people that also are desperately hungry for this word of God. Because they've been saved. They're regenerated believers. Um, and maybe, maybe for folks that are listening, you remember the time period when you first became a believer, the appetite that you had for scripture and building knowledge and prayer, everything was just frenetic. And you've got the early church for everyone. This is all becoming frenetic all at the same time. It's like this event horizon. Um, and so you, you've got this period where the, the books are being written, the letters are being written, um, oftentimes direct from the pen of an apostle, and everyone wants to read it. So you, you come to a church, um, you know, a church, we say that, maybe it's a, um, a meeting place, it's, it's dark, it's late at night, it's under the cover of secrecy, you've got a, a candle, and probably several people with some papyri or um, other things to write on, copying down the text that they've just been able to enjoy so that they can now travel and carry it back to the the fellowship that they're a part of. Yeah, interesting. And yet, and as your story goes, uh, or as the illustration went, that we can actually be pretty certain of what those documents, what the original said, even though the autographs, meaning the first writings, are no longer available to us. Uh we can look at all the copies there and maybe we should deal with the number of things that are out there. So these people, the, these early believers up until about the time of 310, 312, 320 AD were under various forms of persecution under the Roman Empire. That means that they did not exist, so to speak, out in the open. Yet somehow these documents, uh, these documents survived, these documents that were on papyri or whatnot, uh, that su- survived, and what do we have? Well, if we start from the 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 backwards uh, the backwards view before we get to the Old Testament, just to prove a point, we we do have, uh, for example, of ancient text. We have uh, we have the text about Caesar himself, uh, uh, allegedly written in the first century BC, but the earliest copy we have is from 980 AD. Uh, we and we have ten copies of that. We don't know how accurate it is, yet it's considered history. 
It's considered by ancient, uh, those that study uh, uh, ancient texts consider it to be, uh, to be, uh, 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 to be accurate in its history. We also have, uh, Homer, the Iliad that is from the ninth century BC, uh, unknown when the first copy is, but it isn't from the ninth century that we have the first copy. There's 643 copies and they compare those copies together. Uh, and there's about 95% accuracy between all those 643 copies, which sounds great. It does sound great. Then we flip to the New Testament. What do we have? We, uh, in oh, I thought that was a quiz. I thought that was a pop, pop quiz to me. Do you have the answer? Uh, I'm going to say 5,700. Yeah, 5,700 would be, uh, yeah, would be pretty, of, of the copies of minuscules, unicles, papyri that we have with regard to that. We have an accuracy level between all those of somewhere over 99, over 99%. And the differences that are there, uh, are, again, are spelling and grammatical with no changes in orthodoxy or, or what they teach. And additionally, on top of that, I mean, they're written, the copies that we have, the earliest copy we have is from the early 100s AD is what we have. Probably about one, 130, uh, between 120 to, to 130 AD is what we have. So, you know, you're talking about, 80 to 90 years after the ascension of Jesus. This is this That's is, the copies. That's not the autographs. Correct, which we don't have. Which we don't have, but we know from the copies that we do have, like if we look in we look that that no, nowhere except perhaps uh, you might get the idea in Revelation, nowhere do we have a mention of of any renown in uh, say the synoptic gospels or in Paul's writings, of the fall of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, right? So we know that those are written beforehand. We can also look to the to archaeology uh, that, for example, would show us the Gallio ins, uh, inscription about when Paul meets, uh, is in front of the proconsul Gallio uh, uh, in Acts, and we know that he was in, in, in power between 51 and 52 AD. So we can date things like that. That's how, you know, soon they were written after the events. So by looking at the copies and comparing the copies for accuracy and stuff, and, and by looking at things that show when uh, we can date them to, we can see that they were written very close to the time the events occurred, right? They were written during what would be referred to as the age of disproof. In other words, people were still alive that could disprove what was, what was being reported. And uh, and we can be pretty sure of what we've got. Yeah, and I think the age of disproof argument is very important because you would think, you know, feeding of the 5,000. Right. That's a significant number of people. Um, and someone would say, but, but wait a minute, that never happened. We were ne There was never that many people gathered around. And, and that's, that's also an important argument against things like, uh, you know, I think we talked about before, like the book of uh, um, the books of Mormon. Right, that would talk about wars with ancient people for whom there are no archaeological evidence. Correct. I think uh, when I think back to this age of disproof, I like to uh, think about Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, when he says with regard to the resurrection that he that the risen Christ was, was witnessed by more than 500 people, and he says most of whom are still alive. Right. So when he's writing that, he's basically saying or imploring this saying you can go talk to these people and they will tell you 
that they saw the risen Christ. These people were still alive that witnessed this. These witnesses are still there, you know, to to that, that can confirm what I'm telling you. So what we get from that, then we can have we can have a definitely a certain level or a high level of trust in what we have in the New Testament. That's right. And so what we've said, you know, we've got, you know, some 5,700 individual evidence, whether that is a manuscript fragment or uh, an entire um, book. Um, You know, it's important to talk about what we have oftentimes comes in something that we might even think of like a scrap, right? Um, You know, we we were excited the other day. We were working on the church building, pulled a, um, you know, pulled a piece of fascia off the building, reached inside, and, and someone found an entire... Uh, deposit slip from 1969, which was pretty cool. Yes. Right? But what we've got here, um, you know, some of the individual pieces that we'll talk about are are broken into different families. They'll be identified as like a parchment, so P4, P64, um, P67. And and these will have fragments. These will be fragments, and they'll have a portion of the Gospel of Luke, a portion um, of the Gospel of Matthew, and, and, and backdated to like 100 A.D., which Correct. is very close to the time when these people would have been um, walking around. And so what makes that compelling, more compelling than having one autograph example, because surely that could be uh, a fraud, is having all these tiny little scraps, um, having all of these pieces that when they're compared are, for all intents and purposes, identical. Correct. The uh, I, I think uh, maybe a visual, you know, interesting trying to do visuals when you're uh, doing an audio recording. But to, to get this, when we talk about the, the copies of, say, Homer, uh, uh, if we were to put those copies on the, on the ground here and stack them up, you'd probably get somewhere in the neighborhood of a stack maybe four to six feet tall. If you take the what we have of the uh, of of the fragments and the copies of the New Testament and put them into a pile and stack them up, what you have is a, is a pile that's a mile in in in, in height. So, it somebody said uh, I cannot uh, I don't know who to uh, uh, attribute it to, but it is a it was fascinating when when they said it. When we look at the New Testament, it's not like we have a thousand-piece puzzle that we call the New Testament that we're trying to figure out, and we only have 900 pieces. What we have is the thousand-piece puzzle that's the, New, that's the New Testament, and we have 1,100 or 1,200 pieces to it. We have all the documentation for the New Testament, and then what we have from that documentation is then we get into what's called textual criticism to look at that, those documents to see. You know, is it true? And what's in that story was a rough example of textual criticism because Correct. I think textual criticism. You know, our ears can hear criticism. Our ears, our ears, or or what we know can think of of um, uh, people like Bart Ehrman. You know, who are textual critics for the purposes of trying to besmirch scripture. Correct. Um, but textual criticism. Uh, it can be a helpful tool in understanding like a manuscript variant. And one of the ones I look at a lot is, is John 5, 4, um, alternate endings of Mark. I mean, there's, there's a few examples. Of Plus this. the uh, pericope adultery. That's the, uh, or otherwise the story of uh, the woman caught in adultery uh, found in, in John, you know, things that, that are attributed or the longer ending of Mark, right. Where it talks about, you know, we have, uh, you know, uh, 
they can uh, they can drink poison or they can be bit by snakes and they will die things like this things that you'll look in your bible and say that these are in later manuscripts much later manuscripts and there aren't many that indicate these stories are there but there you know so the so the bible's out there uh and we see the new testament for example and we see all those uh all those areas, those textual critical areas are not hidden. You know, you can go and see them. Yeah. You can see what they are, you know? Because just like when we talk about the canon, right? If the canon of Scripture is the 66 books of Scripture, if it's the measuring stick to know, does this live up to God's Word? One of the important things with understanding canon is we're not selecting books of the Bible. With the canonization process, we're understanding what is God's Word. And so in textual criticism, same process, right? We're not picking and choosing. We're not taking things out. We're determining by the study of all of these texts all together, by looking at dating, by understanding which was closest to the source, by comparing manuscript families, which is the Word of God. Right. And you'll get, you know, you'll have, and now, I mean, it should be stated. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're going to talk for what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I mean, this is an exhaustive at all uh, when regard to this. I mean, if you want, if, if people want to see something else, I mean, there's a movie out there that's phenomenal. It's called Fragments of Truth. I thought you were going to say Omega Code. No, it is certainly not that. But Fragments of Truth is great, which talks about the, about, uh, about these, uh, about the New Testament uh, and how we get it. And, and, you know, I think it's important to know. That you know, you know, a lot of times they'll say, you know, for example, oh, that perhaps the oldest is the is, the oldest copy we have is maybe the most accurate, but that isn't always the case. You know, I mean, that's why the textual the textual critics, you know, it's a science that they study these documents and and to see, you know, what is true. Because again, the, what I think is most fascinating is is that we have the New Testament; it's very accurate in that it survived through the three hundred plus years of persecution of Christians. You know, hiding these documents, hide, you know, hiding these fragments, hiding these things that they have, and yet somehow it comes to us today. It can only be attributed to to the superintendence by God over these over these things that they that they have survived so long that his that his word has survived the way it does. And, and another point that I always, you know, I, I don't think people go after this one enough, and I think it's so important to to see how how treasured. Scripture was in antiquity. Um, you know, you can read ac- across um, non-biblical text. You can, through just cultural writing, reassemble the whole of the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just from from sermons uh, that were done by ancient uh, by ancient authors. I think uh, you just definitely touched on the point of how treasured the word was. I mean, this is why the people were known. The original Christians were known as people of the book. I mean, we get we get the book format. I I'm almost a hundred percent positive on the book format comes from, uh, it, you know, prior to when we had scrolls that it comes in book format because the codex the, the codex is because of uh, of Christians that they developed this that they would have small copies of of some of these books or some of the some of the writings that they would carry with them. I mean, because this is this is what they had of the writings of say the. Uh, of say Paul or the the gospel writers or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and so the, you know the notion that this was passed down ear to ear to ear, and certainly it's full of errors, becomes dismissed when you look at 
um, the volume of record that we have, a mile long mm-hmm. versus 600 copies of the Iliad, a much greater, and, and you would think... And closer just, to the source. Closer to the source. Much closer to the source. Yep. You would think statistically, just by having more copies, you would have more errors. But but I, I'm not even able to do the math this quickly in my head, but what, 20 times less than the Iliad? Um, oh, yeah. Whatever that or number even, is. Or even more. I mean, it's just, it, it, when, you, when you look at it, it becomes... Uh, you know, so like this, it says, uh, you know, 99, you know, right. So you have 99 plus percent accuracy of the New Testament and you have within a hundred years of the events of the copies that we have, of the events that occurred. When you look at the other books, the earliest copies are, are generally over a thousand years from the time the events occurred till when they, till the copies that we have. You know, we have whole books within 100 years of the time of the autograph. You know, most, uh, if not the entirety of the New, uh, uh, most of the New Testament within 200 years of when the events occurred and all of the New Testament within 250 years of the moment that occurred, you know, composed in one volume that, that 250 years as one is considered the, the New Testament, all those books compiled together within 250 years of the events that occurred. Yeah. Yeah. And that just uh, and to me, one of the things that I think is so fascinating about Greek, right? And we didn't talk about this, that the, that the majority of the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, mm-hmm. a um, really common language right the language of the trade thankful to uh, alexander the great why it came into the into the region and so you and then also on top of that you've got you you have because everyone's becoming hellenized during this period right even some of the jews are becoming hellenized jews and you have the old testament being written into koine greek in the septuagint which helps us even to get a better understanding of how they saw some of these words be used, how they saw doctrine and theology in the early church. Right. You know, because you don't have to be an expert in Greek to uh, to to trust your New Testament. But you should know that when we look at Greek, that it is, it, it, you know, Jesus comes at one time <coughs> me, in history. And he comes at this specific time when, when, when Koine Greek happens to be the language of the trades throughout the Mediterranean, right? That most people speak it if not all the people around there speak it. And what you find in Greek is this, that unlike, uh, say, English sentence structure, where the, uh, where the word order is very important, in Koine Greek, the, it's an inflected language, which means that the word order isn't important, that the, that the meaning uh, and how the word is used is found within the word itself, in the construction of the word itself. Uh, so that means it's very, it's far more precise than uh, than English is, and and that precision uh, allows it to uh, you know to be transmitted accurately, right from place to place to place, and, and even into our translation into our translations today, we can be very uh, can be very sure of the translations, uh, even though there are times when your Bible will note that says, oh, well, we, we're not exactly sure what this word means. Yeah, you know, we just thought it's just been lost to time. Yeah, and and I mean, so the you know the incredible thing is you you've got this text that's maybe two thousand years old. So many opportunities for it to have been corrupted, but it has been providentially um, protected, right? In Scripture yep. itself, we talk about that Isaiah forty six, First Peter one twenty three through twenty five talks about this protection of Scripture. So the copyists aren't inspired. But God is overseeing this process, making sure that his word is preserved so that we can know what is sin, 
so that we can know, how, how do I rightly worship God? How do I find salvation? God has made sure that that would be set aside. Um, and so specific to the New Testament, I mentioned 2,000 years, specifically with the New Testament um, and, and the Old, right? You know, it, the interesting thing is we've got manuscript evidence that's out there, and, and, and we've got all of these different families. I know we didn't really hit on that like, like maybe we have in the past, um, but you've got an older manuscript family, and then you've got this example of the Dead Sea Scrolls which is found, I say, 1940, I think you say 50, so one of us is right. Um, but somewhere in that time frame, we've had all of these texts that all of these Bibles have been written and translated against. And and for all of these years, people are saying, oh, you know, it's a game of telephone, certainly it's full of errors. Wonderful, we find this treasure trove library. Um, and I think you made the point before that it's not all it's not all scripture or library. This, this is a... Um, a sect of people who had decided to live above the Dead Sea away from others, mm-hmm. and they had the, you know, all kinds of things that were in there that had been preserved. But anyway, nonetheless, we pull these out. Um, over time, they become inspected, and we see almost a, a near-perfect comparison with what we've been looking at the entire time. Oh, yeah. I'm just reading a quote here. I have, uh, I believe it's from Bruce Metzger. Uh, it might be F.S. Bruce, uh, but it says, when you include the quotes from the church fathers, manuscripts from other early translations like the Latin Vulgate, the Ethiopic text, uh, Ethiopic text, and others, the total comes out to 24,000 ancient texts. With so many ancient texts, significant alterations should be easy to spot. Right? However, those who accuse the New Testament of being corrupted have not produced such evidence. This is significant because it should be easy to do with so many manuscripts available. The truth is... The large number of manuscripts that are available confirm the accurate preservation and transmission of the New Testament writings. Although we can be confident in an accurate copy, we do have textual discrepancies. There are some passages with variant readings that we are not sure of. However, the differences are minor and do not affect any major theological doctrine. Most have to do with sentence structure, vocabulary, and grammar, and in no way affect any major doctrine that we have. So that throws out the window the idea of uh, the telephone argument. There's just so many out there, and to your point, that you know, with so many copies, even though there might be slight variants, we can be absolutely more sure than if we had this is the only copy we have. Right, right there. We can be we can we can trust in those translations that we have in our own language uh, that is here. That's right. Yeah. So I think for the the important takeaway for the believer. Um, when someone when someone has that kind of an argument or you're starting to think about the transmission is this, this was not some kind of happy-go-lucky process. This was people hungry knowing they were dealing with the Word of God. This is a sovereign God overseeing that the transmission of his Word would be protected, would be cared for. The you know Some 5,700 manuscripts, the ability to assemble all of the New Testament from uh, secular quotations— um, all of these different things just point to what we would call the veracity of Scripture. They build a mountain of evidence against arguments against them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things, I guess, as well, as we come close to a close here, is that, you know, the other thing to realize is that these uh, these writers weren't just writing happenstancely. Oh, here's a letter, and it just happens to be preserved. Uh, the evidence would show that when we look in the... Uh, in the New Testament itself, say in Second Peter, where uh, where Peter is talking about at the very end, 
where he's talking about the difficulty of some of Paul's writings that some people twist, right? Where he says that they twist this like they do other scripture. So it's Paul's writings are considered to be scripture. These men knew that they were writing from God, right? That they were writing the, the, these words as, 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 as inspired or breathed out, you know, the Theopnistos, uh, that they was breathed out uh, from God, that they were writing not in a manner of, uh, not in the uh, in auto dictation, but the idea that the person who's writing it, their personality, their experiences are preserved through the writing there, that we see that their characteristics and, and them come out in the writing too, but breathed out by God. Yeah, that's the Second Peter one twenty one, uh, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Correct. And uh, you brought up, uh, I didn't think we were going to have time to do it, but uh, you know, it, as we're in Second Peter there, uh, uh, just backing up a little bit where Peter says in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were the eyewitness accounts that we have here uh, in, in, in front of us in the New Testament. Yeah, that's right. I Great. think that's enough for, uh, you know, we're almost 30-minute mark, so. Uh, yeah, and we, we, with this episode, we'll provide some other uh, books. You referenced a movie. I think you referenced. Uh, so yeah, Fragments Omega of Code. Truth. Oh, okay, Fragments of Truth. Yeah, yeah not the Omega Code. Okay, I, I thought it was probably either that or Left Behind. No, not Left Behind either. No, <laughs> absolutely not. So we'll reference a few. We'll give some uh, point out to F.F. Bruce. I mean, you had called out the F.F. F. F. Bruce book, yeah. which is a very accessible uh, yep. booklet, if you will, um, on the authority of Scripture. Uh, Kruger, I think it was, wrote uh, yeah, on Kruger the canon. Had, he does... Uh, yeah, what's it? He has a blog. Kruger, Michael Kruger has, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you just look up New Testament canon and Michael uh, Michael J. Kruger, I believe it is online. Great stuff. He's a phenomenal canon scholar. Canon, maybe? Yeah, is Canon Fodder, I believe, is the name Something. of his blog, and his phenomenal blog. I mean, just just really, uh, not only is he a scholar, but he writes very accessible things uh, for the uh, for the everyday everyday person uh, that's there. Yeah, that's right. And then also, I mean, I just generally, I think when um, James White was involved in, I'm going to say the 90s, I I don't know, could have been the 80s, in giving a defense against the King James only controversy and left behind a trove of helps for um, biblical transmission. He talks a lot about how they would be writing on papyri and hitting reeds because some of the differences between some of these things when we say, oh, 99%, that 1% can be the difference between an Omicron and an Omega, which can be an ink drop in the middle of a circle or a bump over a vein. And so I'll say those are helpful. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll pass some of those on. And, and folks can and should look into it. This is very interesting. Oh, yeah. And they can, uh, you know, and just to uh, build up their knowledge base of the scripture, uh, because most people that would be uh, that, that speak against it would really have have never done the study and have seen to see how accurate it truly is. That's right. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any content.